In those days, the Philistines mustered for war against Israel, and Israel went out to battle against them. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle was joined, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. When the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord put us to rout today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, so that he may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. In my last episode, I went back to the beginning of the story of the Ark of the Covenant, as told in the first book of Samuel. As you heard when you listened to it, I told it as an alternate origin story for the Ark to the one told in the book of Exodus. I saw the Ark as originating as a random piece of sacred furniture at the temple at Shiloh that only came to take on special significance as a result of Samuel's extraordinary experiences of God in association with it. I know that this is not the traditional way to read the story. And I don't mean to suggest that anyone has to read it my way. But I do argue that the way I told the story is at least a possible way to look at what is being told. Samuel's first encounter with the Ark is only the very beginning of an extended tale told in the book of Samuel of the Ark's extraordinary journey to greater and greater importance. I've already told some parts of that extended narrative in other episodes, but I am committed now to fill in all of the gaps in this amazing narrative. So, what happened after Samuel discovered that God could communicate to him through the ark? This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 8.4 Losers of the Lost Ark
once Yahweh began speaking to him, and he developed the confidence to speak boldly the word of Yahweh that he had received, things really started to change for Samuel. Almost overnight, he went from being a lowly temple servant to being a local celebrity. And as his fame began to spread by word of mouth, even a figure of national importance. All of this was very much to the benefit of the temple at Shiloh. Pilgrims began to come from further and further afield to worship there and consult such an extraordinary oracle. And pilgrims brought their wealth with them. The sanctuary was doing very well in collecting sacrificial animals, selling accommodation, and a great deal of other economic activity. But Samuel was not the only draw at Shiloh. Many came just to see the ark. They looked on this object that allowed Samuel to commune with God with superstition, reverence, and fear. Eli, the priest at Shiloh, had heard and accepted the word of Yahweh from Samuel. He accepted that God had judged his sons and rejected them. He accepted the fate that would befall the entire family because of his own failure. But, as was rather typical for the old man, he didn't really do anything about it. Just as he had never bothered to rein in Hophni and Phineas before, he did nothing now. When the word of Samuel's prophecy made its way to the two brothers, they, far from accepting it as their father had, were filled with rage and a desire for revenge against the prophet. But there was little they could do with their anger. Samuel had become so important to the prosperity of the temple, and thus the prosperity of the brothers themselves, that they dared not take any action against him. If they had, they feared that the people might tear them apart in spite of whatever superstition they had against harming priests. But they thought that they knew a way to take the young man on without making it a direct confrontation. Like everyone else, they saw how the ark was so closely connected to Samuel and his prophecies. They had no respect for Samuel himself. For that reason, it was easy for them to assume 
that he was completely dependent on the sacred object to connect with Yahweh. That made them think that if only they could find a way to wrest the Ark out of Samuel's control, the ability would be transferred to themselves and they would be able to wield its power to their own ends. And so they laid their plans and waited for the opportunity that they knew would come sooner or later. Hophni and Phineas did not engineer the battle at Ebenezer. They didn't need to. It was started by the Philistines. These foreigners had recently settled on the coastal plain where they built their five cities. But they were increasingly making incursions into the hill country which was the traditional territory of the tribes of Israel. Of course, the tribes resented this, and so some of them had organized a resistance at Ebenezer. But the Israelites were poorly prepared and did not call on the covenant between the tribes that might have swelled their numbers they were severely trounced by the much better equipped and trained Philistines. When the survivors came limping back into the camp, the tribal elders decided that it was time to get serious about what they called the Philistine problem. And so, they decided to call on the tribes to honor the tribal alliance and send their militias to fight the Philistines. When the covenant between the tribes had been made, an ark had been created as a symbol of it, an ark that had been sent to the temple at Shiloh. But everyone knew that that ark had since become very famous, that Yahweh had begun to speak to the prophet Samuel through it. And so, the elders decided to go to Shiloh and take the ark for a battle. They did so not only so that it would serve as a symbol of the agreement between the tribes, but also because they, like everyone else, were coming to see the Ark as a symbol of great power. Surely, if they had the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh Sabaoth, the tribes would send their best warriors and send them willingly. What's more, at least in their own minds, Yahweh would command the hosts of heaven to fight alongside the militias. They could not lose.
When the elders arrived at Shiloh, Hophni and Phineas had anticipated them, and they were ready. They listened sympathetically to the elders as they told the story of the devastating loss to the Philistine warriors. And when they requested that the Ark be entrusted to them for the coming campaign, the priests said that they thought that that could be arranged. But, they insisted, they would have to make one request. The Ark was so powerful, they argued, that only an anointed priest could be allowed to handle it. But not to worry, Hoffney said. We will take care of that little detail. If you promise to give us a proper priestly portion of the spoils of the battle when we win, we will come and safely tend to the Ark for you. Yes, it is a very troublesome thing for us to do, Phineas added piously, as we will have to neglect our important duties here at the temple, but we are willing to do it for the sake of the people. And so it was that by the time the elders came to the chambers of Samuel, where the ark was still kept, it seemed that the matter had already been decided. The elders simply demanded that the ark must be entrusted to the priests who would convey it to the mustering of the militias. If Samuel had any problems with any of this, he certainly didn't show it. His expression was completely blank as he watched Hophni and Phineas come in to carry out the ark. They both gave him triumphant smiles as they exited the room. But once they had gone and all the Israelite leaders filed out behind them, you would have found that Samuel's face bore a smirk of its own. When the elders returned with the ark and the priests to the mustering point, they were greeted like conquering heroes. Already fighters had begun trickling in from the surrounding territories. Spirits were very high when they caught sight of the amazing golden box that they had heard described by many pilgrims returning from Shiloh. By this point, everyone had heard the stories of how God spoke through the box to the prophet. When some noticed the absence of Samuel and questioned it, Hophni and Phineas assured them that the presence of the prophet was quite unnecessary. 
they were priests, after all, and so were quite capable of using the Ark to bring about the desired outcome. Samuel, they insisted, was little more than a foolish boy who had no idea of the power he was dealing with when it came to the Ark. But not to worry. Hophni and Phineas were now here to take charge. And so the word spread through the camp that the Ark had arrived, and that, with the help of the priests, victory was practically assured. Some of the more experienced men tried to suggest that a bit of planning and strategizing for the coming battle might be a good idea. But the two brothers dismissed the very idea. What was the use of planning when they had the Ark? All anybody had to do, really, was sit back and wait while Yahweh delivered the Philistines up for slaughter. And so it was that when the omens were favorable and the tribesmen of Israel were ready to take to the field, they turned out as little more than a disorganized mass. But nobody seemed to care. They only had eyes for the two brothers who were carrying the ark in triumphant procession. And when the brothers lifted up the ark above their heads, the men of Israel gave a great cry. The ark of Yahweh Sabaoth. And they were so sure that the host of heaven was fighting on their behalf that they ran out onto the field with wild abandon. Meanwhile, the men of Philistia stood grimly against them in tight ranks, flanked by their iron chariots. They too had called upon their gods before taking the field. But when the disordered tribes fell upon them, they didn't wait for their gods to save them. Instead, they fell back upon their training and practice, and they made quick work of the lightly armored tribesmen. The men of Israel were defeated. Hophni and Phinehas, the priests, were killed, and the Philistines took the ark as a trophy of war. And so it was that what had been spoken to the prophet Samuel through the ark 
came to pass. And Samuel, when he heard, did not shed any tears for Hophni and Phinehas, whose service to Yahweh had been nothing but self-dealing and devious. He did weep when he heard of the death of their father, Eli, who could not handle hearing the news of this devastating defeat. When they came to him, they told him first of the death of his two sons, news that he accepted without dismay or surprise. He knew how evil they had been and only blamed himself for his failure to confront them. All he asked after was the fate of the Ark. And when they told him that it had been taken by the Philistines, that was when the shock overtook him. His heart could not handle it and he died straight away. Samuel, for his part, did not feel concerned about the fate of the Ark. Just as he had learned to trust in the insights he had gained from its presence with him, he chose to trust that wherever Yahweh might lead it next, oh, there may be others would have a hard time because of it. But the Ark? The Ark would be fine. And so ends the story of Hophni and Phinehas, two of the very worst biblical villains to my mind. But the story of the Ark and its journey is still only beginning. I've actually already told some of the next steps of this story in previous episodes. In episode 4.2, Icky Icky Ichabod, I told the story of the last remaining member of the House of Eli, Ichabod, the son of Phineas. That is a harrowing story all on its own. And in episode 7.13, A Cart Full of Tumors and an Ark, I told the story of the sojourn of the Ark among the Philistines after they seized it at the end of this story. But all of this is also leading us up to the incredible story of Uzzah, and his encounter with the Ark. For that, you will have to continue listening for future episodes. The Ark has come a long way from being a random piece of furniture in the storage room at the Temple of Shiloh. But there is certainly much more to come. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. And please rate and review this episode on your podcast app 
to help other people find it. The theme music for the podcast is Ada by Kevin MacLeod. And the mood music for this episode was Invasion by Sasha End. The music is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at incompetech.com and at filmmusic.io, respectively. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible and on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. Thanks again to my awesome Patreon supporters who back this podcast. Go to patreon.com slash retellingthebible to support this podcast. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.